Stand by for a brand new live from my office. Unless you've heard it before and it was so good, you're coming back for the rerun. It's going to be a busy spring at the Rouse Center for the Performing Arts in Crystal Lake. It's just a great venue for entertainment anytime. Let me give you a, a, just a few highlights of upcoming events at the Rau. The Wizard of Oz being put on by one of the middle schools in the area. The Encore Music Academy Youth Orchestra. And a member appreciation and discount night with great prices on tickets. The best of the year. That's coming up on May 11th, and you still have time to uh, to be a member. All the information at RouseCenter.org, R-A-U-E-Center.org. As you get a little bit later into the spring, Thursday, May 18th, a blues weekend kickoff, and it's going to be a fabulous weekend with blues superstars. You can get a blues weekend VIP pass in the extended hours of the box office on Members Night will help, but if you're not a member, you can still jump in. There's a masterclass series with a great Ernie Watts, two-time Grammy-winning saxophonist. And there's also Corky Siegel and Ernie Watts getting together for Blues Weekend. Corky's one of the world's great blues harmonica players, bar none. And Derek Procell will be in the Burbs for the weekend. And his latest album, Hello Mojo, number one soul blues album for seven weeks all those tickets, too, available at the Rouse Center at rousecenter.org. Lucy's Comedy Club is on, the Green Room Improv this spring. And, of course, once you get closer to Father's Day, uh, the forefathers are back. We'll do another one of our world-famous shows. Tim Benker, John DeCoss, Mike Toomey, and me. Very reasonably priced tickets. It's a shame how cheap these are. On Friday, June 16th, stand-up comedy with your friends, Banker DeCoste, Toomey, and me, Steve Cochran. Join us at the Rouse Center, a great place for entertainment all year long and a great spring ahead. RouseCenter.org. That's RouseCenter.org. You can also go by the box office uh, in town or call the Rouse Center anytime at 815-356-9212. Rau, R-A-U-E, center.org. Welcome to Live from My Office, where today we get part two of So a Priest and a Rabbi Walk Into a Podcast. Rabbi Evan Moffick and Father Tom Hurley will join me again. We continue to talk about the crisis in faith story, but also where you go from Passover and Easter in 2023, and what do we do about the faith that we all, in my opinion, need? You know what I like to say? I don't care who your God is. Get a little closer to him or her and try to be a better person tomorrow than you were today. Uh, that's Father Tom and Evan Moffick in just a moment. Before we get to that, I want to remind you, the radio show is on every morning on the Big Ed 90 WLS. That's 890 WLS Radio in Chicago. Hey, uh, kids, um, I don't know if you know this, but podcasts like this one, they're really just a long-form version of radio with no traffic and sports and news in there, unless that's the guest you're interviewing. Yeah. Yeah, 100 years of radio. Uh, we just passed 99 of them on WLS, and no matter how old you think I am, I've only been there for nine of those months or 10, whatever it is now. But I'm glad you're here wherever you're listening uh, around the Midwest, around America, and around the world. 
Last I looked, 15 different countries listening to live from my office. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really think it's important. And, you know, to get an opportunity to talk about something important on live from my office, well, that doesn't happen every day. So stand by now as I give you a priest and a rabbi uh, walk into a podcast. And we'll even talk about what it's like to get married outside of your own faith because it's that season too. That's now on Live From My Office. All right, once again, it's a uh, priest and a rabbi walk into a podcast. This is part two. I'd like to welcome Rabbi Evan Moffick. How are you, sir? I'm great. Nice to be with you again, Steve. And I appreciate you doing this. Father Tom Murphy, how are you? Tom Murphy, you changed my last name. Uh, Hurley is the last name, but, uh, you know. Well, you know, I wanted to give you, you know, Tom Hurley, I did spend five hours with you on a golf course. I wanted to give you all the Irish names. (laughs) I think you're trying to find Tom O'Donnell, too. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> O'Donnell, O'Connell, Murphy, Hurley. <laughs> Father Hurley Tom was, Hurley, how are you? I am well. I'm well. Thank you for having me back on here. Um, you know, the last time we did this, we we dove in pretty hard uh, to a crisis in faith. And um, uh, it doesn't have to all be uh, doom and gloom. And it wasn't the last time we talked either. But there's some very serious topics to discuss. And we're recording this, actually on uh, April 13th, um, in the midst of Passover and Easter season. So, Rabbi, if we could start with Passover, I hope it has been a happy Passover. Yeah, it's been a great Passover, and uh, it's been nice having some beautiful, you know, Passover is a a spring holiday, and to have some spring weather here in Chicago has made it uh, extra special. But uh, it's, it's been a wonderful one. Had some good family time, good, good food, and, uh, you know, I'm glad not to have to you know, matzah is, uh, it's not my preferred bread of choice, but it's, it's fun to eat. It's fun to eat once a year, a couple times a year. So, um, it was, it was, it was lovely. You were a child, um, and matzah was a part of things. How did your parents explain it to you? I think they, you know, they said it was, you know, we had to rush out of the land of Egypt, you know, with the, uh, it was, we had a window of opportunity to escape and then Pharaoh changed his mind. So we had to move fast and there wasn't time for the bread to rise. Kind of the classic story. Uh, sure. So uh, we ate the unleavened, unrisen bread, um, the crunchy matzah. And, uh, and that's what we do on Passover. And there, my, my mom, uh, there's something called matzah brie, which is kind of like, um, it's like eggs and butter and matzah kind of made into a, a mix. It's like it's almost like a hash. It's a it's a it's a sure. matzah hash. And um my mom would make great matzah hash. So I always looked forward to that. Um and then you can also make matzah meal pancakes. So I guess, you know, they gave me the theological explanation, but then it you know, it it ultimately all becomes about the food. Uh and uh, and that's you know, what it's interesting. It's interesting because you are a prolific author and we talked about it outside of the interview last time um, in the opening and the close to the podcast. How many books now? Seven. Seven books and not a single uh, Father Tom Hurley, not a single book with matzah hash recipes. Can't you? It's a shock to me. (laughs) <laughs> I should have one. I should. Yeah, it, it'd have to come from my mom. I maybe I, I should do a book with her. Uh, she would. She would. Uh, she would love that. Um, Father Tom Hurley, I hope the Easter season has treated you well. 
Uh, it has. It's been delightful. And again, along with Evan, um, Easter too, just like Passover. I mean, it's where it originated, you know, a beautiful spring celebration. And um, it just seems like it was even more special this year with weather that was um, not very characteristic for, uh, you know, April here in Chicago. Uh, well, I guess it's always kind of iffy, but um, but anyhow, the weather turned out great. Uh, I'm hearing from people that um, you know, numbers were pretty solid and, and up a little bit uh, in terms of churches. I, I hope that that's hope that's true. Um, you know, I hope this was a new beginning. Uh, Easter is about new beginnings, so I, I hope that it was a new beginning and a renewal for a lot of people. So let's talk about what you both do now, just to remind folks. Uh, Father Tommy wrote Old Satan Pats for a very long time, and after leaving, where do we find you now most days? So. Most days you find me here at my alma mater of Marist High School out on the southwest side of the city. It's a co-ed Catholic school uh, originated in the Marist Brothers tradition. And I'm here um, as kind of the chaplain and pastor, if you will, and do some campus ministry as well as do what pastors do. And unfortunately, one of those tasks is raising money to make sure that the mission stays strong. So I've been entrusted with that responsibility. And Rabbi Evan Moffick, tell me about yours. I am out in uh, in Highland Park at a synagogue, uh, Macomb Solel uh, Lakeside. And uh, yeah, I've been the rabbi here for almost 15 years now. And uh, yeah, I just I do uh, a lot of the same stuff that uh, that uh, Tom does, uh, you know, a lot of, of ministry of, of, you know, working with with people of all ages and fundraising, too. It's a that's a part of any modern minister's job. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a blessing to be here. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because that is one of the things that is an ultimate truth of church and an ultimate uh, responsibility for, um, a pastor, for a rabbi as well, is to find a way to fund the business, to yeah. be able to support the staff that you need and to keep folks there and get obviously a large group of volunteers, but, you also have a large paid staff as well. And if attendance is down, that becomes a tougher putt. So, Father Tom, you talked about um, attendance being up again. Um, maybe we should revisit that and talk about why it's important to be in church, because folks certainly show up at Easter and Christmas as Christians. Folks show up on high holidays for, for, for Judaism. But in, in a Catholic church, there's a lot of talk, a lot of publicity, a lot of press about how attendance has been down. So while online and technology makes everything more accessible, why is it important to be in person? Well, um, I think like, I don't think it's just unique to Catholicism, but as we talked about last time we were together, I mean, Evan and I and his wife, Ari, we've had these conversations, uh, you know, frequently in terms of um, the challenge of organized religion, you know, and, um, you know, that we're all kind of experiencing, I wouldn't say a decline, but we're, I think we're experiencing some challenges. And when you talk about the importance, um, you know, again, from my experience as, as a kid growing up, you know, and I think one of the important influences of becoming a priest was just the importance of the community. And, you know, I, I shared the experience of, you know, the sisters and the priests were very, very important to me and to my family, especially at the most critical moment. And, um, 
you know, there's something about, at least in our tradition, we talk about the incarnation, you know, God becoming one of us uh, in Jesus. And so incarnation means like we need to be in the flesh. And, you know, when it comes to caring for families who are suffering or people who are in need, I'm sorry, but that's just stuff you can't just, it just doesn't work over the Zoom. Um, during the pandemic, you know, I was just talking to some guys, a guy the other day who, you know, uh, did the 12 step and, you know, they, they may do during, during the 12 step and, um, you know, going to meetings, um, you know, recovery meetings, you know, using zoom during COVID, but he said it, it just, that was his expression. We may do. And I think we may do with doing virtual masses, virtual 12 step gatherings, virtual Shabbat services, perhaps, uh, but I mean, when it comes down to it, there's something about being in the flesh in, with one another, body to body, soul to soul, uh, that I think is really, really important. And numbers speak, you know. Um, you know, I think the more the merrier, you know, to use an old expression. And I do believe that's an important part of who we are on all of our traditions. And uh, Rabbi, is it a similar... Um... I don't. I guess I don't want to say threat, but it's certainly a concern. It's a concern I have as a rapidly aging uh, Christian uh, that the lack of gathering of people of faith. There's something that that really goes away, as Father Tom was just discussing. Did Did you share that concern? Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely um, share that concern. I'd say slightly different sort of emphasis, though. I think in, in Catholicism and probably in, you know, Protestantism too, there's a huge emphasis on people attending worship, that the worship people be together. And that's tremendous in Judaism too. But, you know, Passover primarily takes place in the home, that it's in people's homes where you have this Passover meal. And that, interestingly, is also declining. Again, I'm talking about my mom again. We were talking and, 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 uh, she was telling me that she knows a lot of people who just aren't going to Passover seders. They're not going to Passover meals. And that was even the most secular Jew 20, 30 years ago would still go to a Passover seder. You know, it might not be a very religious seder. You might just say one or two prayers and then eat, but at least sure. it was some sort of special meal. Hmm. Now there are many people who just don't even go, don't mark it in any way. So I think that is certainly a trend. I will say I'm an I'm a ha glass half full kind of guy. The one really good thing about sort of Zoom and virtual gatherings I have noticed is, you know, we have a substantial elderly population in the synagogue, people who are in their 80s and 90s. They may live in assisted living. And then there are others who they might travel a lot. You know, they're going to see their grandchildren here and this and that. And and the fact that we do have more online gatherings now actually enables them to participate more. So the person who's, you know, 90, 92 can come to a Torah study class or attend a service that she couldn't have done before we really had that's that technology point. in place. So that's but important. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, but the, the, the advantages to the technology, that's absolutely part of it. So how do you make that in all walks of faith? How do you make that a positive without it being an easy excuse to not show up um, for all those community things that are great. I'm sure you guys have these kind of good discussions all the time. 
I think Tom knows all the answers on these questions. Uh, uh, Tom, go ahead. Go ahead. Tom, let's <laughs> yeah. solve this right now. Yeah, I, I've been yeah, I, I've been waiting anxiously to just start spewing off all the answers. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, that is, I, I I'm I'm tongue twisted on that one to be honest with well, you. The reason I bring it up, obviously, is because the, the technology is not going away, and this technology is not going away, and the positives that come from it are numerous there is a built-in negative if it's an excuse not to get up, say, on a Sunday morning and to go to church and to celebrate um, your faith with others in person. So I certainly don't have the answer, but I would assume uh, Christian leaders uh, get together all the time and go, okay, it's good, but is it good for us? I, I just want to go back and revisit something uh, that I said the last time we were together and and I said, no, there's no corrections. I'm sorry. We don't take corrections. And, oh, no, 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 no. More in response to this is that, you know, I, I, we uh, put in live stream technology uh, back in 2015 at Old mm. St. Patrick's Church when I was the pastor. And we did that um, for the purpose of staying in contact with people if they moved away from Old St. Pat's, if they moved away from Chicago. Um, and also as a way of allowing people that if somehow, some way they experienced our worship at five o'clock mass on a Sunday, that maybe it might be a little taste and they might actually find it appealing. And so therefore they might come again, as I said, I, I learned about live stream and its benefits from my friends out at St. Monica's church out in Santa Monica, California. And so I just want to go back to say that. Yeah, that and it served its purpose. We did. We had a good six, seven hundred people in church at five o'clock on a Sunday. And when we looked at the numbers, we had another heck four to five hundred people that were joining us. By the I'd say Wednesday, Thursday of the, the following week, we might have been up to maybe eight hundred to a thousand people that viewed it. So they joined us, but at a later time, um, the recording of it, if you will. I think that's all great. I think it's a balance. I think it's both and. Um, I don't think that we just scrap the technology because, first of all, we're not going to scrap the technology. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, I think it's 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 got a benefit. But I think there is something about showing up. And like I said, let's let's go to the perfect example of schools. You know, uh, people have said I'm in a school, and you know, people have said that that kids are still experiencing some of the negative effects of having to go to school on these darn things on a computer day after day after day for, you know, for, for some kids over a year or longer. And so I, I think it's both and, and like we said, Hey, this is fantastic. If the snow is falling and there's uh, you know, 24 inches of snow in Chicago, Hey, we can still have school kids. There's no more thing. Uh, there's no more uh, snow days, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kids don't like it, but we, you know, we didn't, we loved it as kids, but now you can do this, but what would it be like if all of our life was just doing this, talking into a screen, you know, I just don't think that's, and I think the same is true with community and worship. You can't form a community just by doing it virtually. I think there's gotta be, we got to body up. You know? And I think you both come back to where we sort of landed last time. It comes down to your family unit and how you act as a family, what you believe is a family and the messages you pass on as your kids are growing up. And eventually the kids are going to find their own way 
and they're going to choose their path to believe. Tradition's obviously a big part of it, but coming off ancient traditions like Easter and Passover in a world where we communicate so differently, is it hard to tell those old stories um, the same way? Or is that part of the advantage that this is one of those things where the old way is the way these stories should be told? You know, you're not going to get on, you're not going to get on TikTok to TikTok Easter or Passover, um, uh, at least not fully. Um, do you need to find new ways to make it more relevant? Does that make church more attractive to kids or is that overthinking it? I, th I you know, I think you do need the old ways. I, I think the, the technology is better as a doorway. You know, you find the, if, if people who tune in online also end up coming to the, the church or the synagogue, that's ideal that you've given another pathway for people to connect, but it can't replace it. And I do think, I mean, we all know we're social animals. We'll, you know, we, even if we're shy, you know, it doesn't mean you're outgoing or less outgoing. You know, we, we operate well when we're around others. There's so much language communication that's done with body, with gestures, with just, you know, the exchange of energy. And that's missing, you know, the enthusiasm, you know, you can, you can be enthusiastic online, but it translates much better in person. So I do think there, there are certain stories, feelings, experiences that are irreplaceable. Um, that they, they just, you know, there are certain things that are much more efficient online. You know, you can have meetings and certain things that, you know, are just almost an exchange of information. That's great. Do that online. Telling the ancient story and acting the ancient rituals, it's you, you, it's irreplaceable. Um, when it comes to younger uh, uh, people who believe and have believed readily and maybe aren't going anymore, politics turning them off? I mean, certainly amongst evangelicals, Tom, that's been a big story of coverage for the last seven or eight years that people are turned off because, you know, like separation of church and state, part of the Constitution but do you need to work to keep politics out of church and out of temple? I mean, does that fall under part of your job duties these days more than ever? I, I think so. I mean, I think that, I think politics have not leaked over. I think they have been a deluge. I, th I think it's been, I think they've absolutely totally invaded uh, church life. And I think sometimes church politics, um, is maybe even worse than more of the secular politics. Uh, absolutely, I think, and I, I, I'm presume I'm, I'm going to let Evan can say uh, for himself too. But I just think that, oh my gosh, I mean the the ultra right conservative, and then those for whom they don't want to have anything to do with church. I, I just think the dichotomy is so so huge. Uh, I think it's doing a lot of damage in terms of the church. Uh, the other thing I guess I would say is is just you know you go back to you know, the traditions. Yeah, we have to end on the traditions, but I would also say that when it comes to younger people, we're still, you know, we talked about this the other day when we were out together and it's like, we're still, we're still doing the old playbook. And I keep using that example, but we are. And as long as we're going to keep using the old playbook, um, I think young people are not going to respond. We don't have a, we don't have a deep bench. You know, we don't have great preachers, you know, uh, a lot of our Places with music and hospitality is mediocre at best. And, you know, they might come on Sunday, excuse me, they might come on Easter, 
Um, you know, as Evan said, they might come for Passover, might. Um, but I agree. I, I think there's probably more younger people who who have even gotten to the point where they're not even doing Easter or Christmas anymore, just like they may not even be doing Passover anymore. And that to me is alarming, alarming. Yeah. And I should be an alarm to our leaders uh, in the church. Is it alarming in, in Rome? Is it alarming at the Vatican? Or, I mean, this is where it gets very serious as part of the discussion, because if you go to the home office, uh, I guess I would ask it as a larger question. Amongst the network of priests you readily stay in contact with, are they aware or accepting of the fact that there's a problem at the head of the Catholic Church in particular? Um, I think among my peers and colleagues, I think, yes, I think there's a, there's a great awareness uh, of people who aren't going, the mediocrity. Um, I think there is a growing concern, but I think when it comes to, I think when it comes to the leadership, and I'm not quite sure about, I think Pope Francis is in touch, and I think he's in tune with developed nations, and that's where the church, I think, is hurting the most. But again, as we've said before, this conversation is is totally craziness, crazy talk, if we were going to go to places like Nigeria or places in Asia or Latin America where the church still has solid numbers and people who are attending services. So I think this is more of an issue for the United States, places in Europe, more developed nations uh, where church is definitely in the backseat. Anything you want to add to that, Evan? No, I mean, I think the the the, the details are different. But the overarching framework is similar in 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 Judaism, uh, in that the there's definitely political tension right now. It's really centered on Israel, you know, and and sort of the the tension between the ultra orthodox and secular Israelis is really spilled out into the open, and also is affecting the stability of Israel's political system. So, you know, that tension is not as manifest in the United States. I mean, there is some, certainly the United States, even the, you know, more Orthodox here are kind of concerned about what's happening in Israel. So it, but it's a different manifestation, but it's certainly the, the, the politics and uh, of the differences amongst communities um, makes addressing the larger challenges much harder. If younger people feel like they aren't being listened to, so therefore, why do they need to go to church? Even if they are of faith and they think they can find it elsewhere, how do you combine that? How do you combine the fact that, yes, we're going to listen to you, but in turn, we also need you to respect the traditions of what's been built here? I mean, I think that's a fair exchange. Is that message not, is it missing on some level? Well, again, I hate to sound political here, but some of it might have to do with sort of the breakdown of the family in some ways, you know, because a family is where you sort of learn these things, you know, you, you are both reinforced in certain lessons, but also add your voice to it. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't grow up in intact families makes conveying that harder. So it's either all or nothing. Um, uh, the, the kind of stable passage of tradition from one generation to the next is can be disrupted easily. Um, so I don't blame, you know, I, I don't blame young people who are turned off. I, I always just see that more as a challenge because I think 
from where they're coming from, sometimes the as 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 Tom puts it, you know, many churches and synagogues are using an old playbook. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And and I think the other thing I would add to that is that, you know, when you talk about we talk about young people as if perhaps maybe like they're the core problem, and they're really they're really not. And mm. and when you think and when you an expression that Evan just used about you know younger people being turned off, that's presuming that they were ever turned on. <laughs> and uh, to use the expression, obviously the most appropriate way. Uh, but I mean, were they ever even turned on? Was there ever even a pilot light that was lit in terms of, you know, faith? So, I mean, uh, you know, when we talk about young people, that's not just limited to people in their like teens and 20s. I think we need to be, you know, talking about, you know, young parents and young families and people in their 30s and 40s and maybe even my age, 50s that, you know, where they've drifted. You know, I mean, that's one thing that the church has, you know, they've identified. It's, you know, the drifters, you know, um, people have just drifted away because, I mean, I know plenty of people my own age. I mean, here I'm a priest of 30 years and 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 I know of, fam you know, kids, guys and girls that I went to high school and college with that have drifted away because, you know, it, it, we're not we're not speaking to them anymore. So. So if we're not speaking to them, then what have they been able to do for their own kids? So who knows that's the old playbook thing that you're speaking of, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's the old playbook, but I think it's also not just an old playbook, but I would say the deterioration of um, whatever playbook we have been using. Uh, I, I, th I just think we've got communities that, you know, or leaders that just, Gosh, talk about old playbook, but I mean, they don't even know I'm from the old place. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, you know what I mean? It's it's just like when when you hear I hear story after story after story, and I feel bad, but it's like it's you talk about experiences that are lifeless, and it's just whole home. And it's like again, I keep using the word mediocre, but it it is. And I think as a result of that, that's not inspiring. You know, in our tradition, good old Jesus was an inspirational figure. You know, he could inspire people. Um, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I don't think that that's happening a lot. And I think so that's an interesting word because <laughs> we hear the word inspire all the time. I think I think faith needs to be inspirational and aspirational. And aspirational to me creates um, a vision of I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to take my life to a higher place. And an important part of that is faith and whether you're a jew a christian um if you love islam whatever your faith may be the closer you can get to it i believe you benefit from it but in the few minutes we have here because we can't do justice to it as usual um even here when we don't have to go to traffic and weather we run out of time uh but uh, maybe a traffic report's appropriate but we're not going to do one i i do want to mention one thing because uh, it's important and and Rabbi, you and I should probably have a longer discussion about this. Uh, but one of the many books you've done is called First the Jews, Combating the World's Longest Running Hate Campaign, correct? Yes, yes, That's on anti-Semitism. And obviously a huge, continues to be a tremendous issue. It's a giant story. So I look forward to having a longer discussion. But this idea that um, 
there will always be those who treat people differently because they don't believe as you believe is a sad but true thing that can be helped by going to church, by going to temple, and by celebrating and meeting people you don't know and finding out that strangers are actually much closer than you truly understand. And uh, so I hope you'll get that book. But if there's one similarity between all of us, especially this time of year, it's a lot of people are getting married. And mm. you two have done many weddings together. So let me end it on a positive here, at least end this part on a positive. I uh, met somebody the other day who said, <clears throat> he was a young man in his 20s. And he said, I'm the absolute cliche of being a good Jewish boy. And uh, he was 24 years old. And he's fallen in love with a, uh, a young lady who happens to be a, a Catholic girl. And his family is on board, but he's, he's very afraid about his grandmother. He loves his grandmother dearly. And he doesn't quite know how to introduce her to grandma and how to proceed because he and his girlfriend believe they're headed down that road where they'll be husband and wife soon. So do you have any messages for somebody that is headed that way for younger people or even older folks, I suppose, because you guys have done a million of these types of weddings and things. What do you say to the family? That's such a, a huge issue. I would, I would try to talk to the grandma in a way that is respectful of her, of her point of view. You know, you're not going to change her mind. You know, if she's, if, if, if she believes that, you know, you're, that interfaith marriage is not good, I wouldn't try to engage in debate over that. I would just try to say, this is the woman I love and makes me happy. And we're going to, you know, do the best we can to carry on, you know, Jewish tradition in our family. And, and it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, for, for many years, probably when the grandmother grew up, at that time, if you were Jewish and you married somebody not Jewish, it was like you were leaving the Jewish people. It was like an exit ticket. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it is today. As Tom and I, you know, can talk about, you know, people who are of two different faiths, they honor and live both faiths quite often. That wasn't the case probably when grandma grew up. So I think honoring that history and trying to explain that you're not rejecting your own religion, it's a core part of who you are. It might not work. I'm not saying this is the is, is some some of these issues are really intractable, but I would try to just be as respectful and and focus on the loving relationship as much as possible. From the Catholic perspective, certainly there's an awful lot of Catholic folks who would go, "What do you mean you're not marrying inside the faith?" Tom, what do you do when you're presented with a young couple who are going through this? I um. I, I too, uh, along with Evan, and I, one thing I would just add to what he beautifully said already is really our witness. And it's, you know, if Evan and I are together, I think one of the things that really, I think works for us because we have this chemistry, I don't think it's just chemistry of personality, but I think it's also a chemistry and a shared type of belief and theology that this is okay. This is more than okay. This is beautiful. And God doesn't see the distinctions between Jew or Catholic, but God is embracing and blessing you as a couple. And, 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 and I think when he and I, or if I'm with Ari, whatever, I, I think when we're together, I think the most important thing is our witness and our testimony. And I tell you, there have been plenty of times when I have been doing the baby naming baptism. So when the couples have gone on, they've gotten married and now they're having kids 
and now we're doing this, you know, hybrid service where they receive their Hebrew name and then we also, you know, baptize them. Again, critics can stand back and say, oh, that's craziness, you know, you're adding confusion. Um, I think, again, the half full people, the more optimistic people, the more faith filled people are going to say, wow, this is really beautiful, uh, is that they're honoring both of their traditions. And so I think it's really important that the leaders, we as leaders of prayer and as faith leaders really show our reverence and our respect. And I think that goes a long, long way. Let me tell you, I've been in plenty of those baby naming baptism situations where you can see, you can clearly see the grandparents are kind of, you know, adjusting themselves in their seats a little bit like, mm, what are we doing here? And is this really, you know, we should be protecting our own turf type of thing. And I, again, I'm not patting ourselves on the back too hard here, but I'm just saying, I think we're able to kind of smooth things over a little bit to say, this is okay. One of the things I say to couples, you ask me, one of the things I always say to couples is, hey, and I'm, I'm usually in some building that has multiple doorways. And they say, hey, there's a lot of different ways into the mystery of God. And uh, there's no there's no wrong way into the mystery of God. And you, Steve Cochran, many times on your own morning show have said many, many times, you know, I don't care who your God is or what you call your God, but believe in something, mm. you know, and turn to something. Um, so, you know, kudos to you for the inspiration that you also give to us. That's nice. No, it's nice of you to say that. I, I, I guess I'd leave it in saying that if you're lucky enough in this life to find somebody to love who loves you back, um, I would certainly hope you have a house of faith and worship and a family that is as thrilled about it as you are. You're here. Mm. So, oh, yeah. Rabbi Evan Moffick, we'll pick this up again. And uh, and Father Tom Hurley, as you call yourself now. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Father Tom Hurley, it's always a pleasure. You both are important, important folks to have this discussion with. I really appreciate it. I think we do help and hopefully inspire people in moving forward on their own journey. So thank you for the time. Thanks for having us. Let's do it again. Yeah. Thank you. This was wonderful as always. Before we go, a big thank you to Ross Cochran, who is the executive producer of Life from My Office, getting it done to make sure you do this. And thank you for listening to it. Uh, CochranShow.com is where all of Live from My Office episodes live. But outside of that, whether it's Apple or whether it's uh, Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you get every episode. It really does help us. And also, I'd encourage you to drop me an email about a potential kid of the week. That's another piece of the Steve Cochran radio show on WLS. Listen on the radio, 890 WLS on your smart devices, wherever radio is streamed, or just come in the studio, sit with me, and you can hear it live. All right. Thank you for listening to that. And thank you for listening to this. Kid of the week is where we ask you to tell us about good news about kids. Amanda, we need it now. So just any good news about any kid you know or hear about that you think I ought to know about, drop me an email at thecochranshow at gmail.com. That's thecochranshow at gmail.com. And tell me about a good kid doing good things. In the meantime, I thank you for listening. And I thank Father Tom Hurley and Rabbi Evan Moffick. We'll continue that conversation. Hope you enjoyed part two. If you haven't caught up on part one, it's right there at CochranShow.com as well for your consumption. 
And we'll see you next time on Live from My Office. Thank you for listening to Live from My Office, a service of Monkey Run Productions. All rights reserved. The podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran, and it's mixed, edited, and produced by me, Ross Cochran. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to MC your event. And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com for more.